This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 251 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Poplar Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Reese. How you doing? Hi, Philip. I'm great. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty well. I was just I was just telling you before we started recording that uh, I attended a wedding last night. So, I, you know, I've had better days. I'm moving a little bit slowly. <laughs> and um, when I was teaching earlier, I was like, no small circles <laughs> around me. Thank you very much. But. Uh, I think we've all been there. That's a sign of a great wedding. That's yeah, perfect. it was a it was a wonderful wedding and a perfect uh, perfect weekend. So ah, super. Yeah, That's and awesome. the other thing is that we're taping a little bit early this week, so it is it is Sunday, and uh, I guess you can explain why we're doing that, Reese. Yeah, Busy sure. Girl. So we had a big weekend too. Here, I'll start with um, on Friday. Travis and I went to dinner with Glenn and with Karen Isberg of Kentucky Performance Products. So we had a really fun Horse Radio Network weekend on Friday. That was great to see Glenn. It's always nice to see him in person. And um, and then, uh, yeah, I was really busy today. I work today. Uh, normally, I, I try to take Sundays off. But uh, I head to Washington, D.C. tomorrow. Um, everybody probably has been following that I'm in this leadership group, which is fun. It's an agricultural leadership group. And uh, we are in D.C. for our sort of D.C. seminar for the next four days. So it is going to be a busy week for me. And then actually, I'm home one day. And then we have our first little schooling show of the season. So How is that um, going to happen, Reese? Is it, it's, yeah. That's, <laughs> isn't it snowing big, where you are today? It is. It is, in fact, snowing. There's a blizzard here right now. So I know everybody on the East Coast is getting it, too. Uh, and I am so over it. I just taught Pony Club in the snow and wind, and it was brutal. Um, oh, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's time to beat over, but uh, on a positive note, um, yeah, no, it'll, it'll be good. I, <laughs> I have to be honest, if it's snowing, we don't go to this show. It's right. a, yeah, it's well, a schooling show you. and yeah, we just won't go. It's, it's not an expensive show, but I hope we do because I'd like to get everybody out once before we go to, um, our first recognized show actually is in a couple weeks. So it's in the middle of April. So I'd like to get everybody out, get the cobwebs off a little bit. The young ones haven't been out in a little while, so I'd like to get them out. So fingers crossed that we'll get that get them out next weekend. So it, we will see how my awesome assistant, Alexis Wood, does uh, by herself for four days, getting the horses ready oh for a, a show. Yeah, she's got some pressure on her, but it's fine. It, it sort of, you know, how schedules work sometimes. Um, and, you got to pack and, it all in. Yeah, I got to do it. So <laughs> uh, did you get an update from Glenn about the how the Road to the Horse event was going? He talked yeah, about it in last, week, last week's show. So uh, I'm curious about what was, what's new over there, what's going on. 
Yeah, it sounds great. I guess the finals were today, um, and I don't know how that went, um, honestly, but uh, it sounds like a great event. And actually, uh, Travis and I, Travis said, um, my non-horsey husband, um, said that even, it sounds really cool. And he's like, I'd like to go next year. So I'm going to make sure we get some tickets. And it sounds really cool, actually. I think we'll we'll try to go next year and see how they break these cults and and get started. So uh, it's just cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it sounded really interesting. Something totally kind of different than what we're used to mm-hmm. watching yeah, and, and I, seeing. So I think it's so like lucky anytime, you get exposed to so much yeah, being close, we do. close by there. So we do. And I think anytime you get to see trainers uh work, you know, it was kinda like yeah. we felt like at the Global Dressage Forum North America, you know, we liked it because we got to see several different training systems. Uh and it was a quick snippet, but um some we liked and some, you know, we maybe wouldn't have tried, but uh, I think anytime you can kind of see that stuff is cool. So it was, yeah. it was, it's been a good weekend around here. Awesome. And uh, after the show, I have to do some packing. I've got to wear suits. No more britches? Yeah, so many nice pairs of britches. I do. You don't I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know how I'm going to pack all these suits like a grown up. So uh, looking weird. forward to the week. So, well, I think we got but, a good show planned regardless. Yeah, we, we do. you know, done some good taping and uh, got some good guests. What do, what's going on today? Yeah, so we have um, a couple great guests. We have Lauren Spreiser, who is a blogger for the Chronicle of the Horse. And you'll hear that Philip um, is is a stalker in a way. He reads the blog. <laughs> I'm a fan of the blog. I like her yes, blog, and I, yes. I like Lauren. We've, I've, you know, we've uh, gotten together a few times um, in Maryland, and I've seen her in Florida and stuff. And uh, you know, great writer, great trainer, and. Uh, yep. I, I like her blog, so uh, I, you know, we asked her to come on if she wanted to talk about it, and I think we got uh, a great, a great interview with her. And then uh, Hillary Moore Hebert. It's the third weekend of the month. It's time for our dressage today segment. I hope people uh, are enjoying that because we really, we really like yeah, doing this segment. It's our so. favorite. Yeah, lots of great training tips, and and we get to talk about what's in the magazine, and and uh, she's also a great trainer, and uh, you know we have a lot of great discussions. So. I'm looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to be good. I know. Me too. I think it's going to be awesome. And we've got some great news from the weekend. Uh, Olivia Lagoy-Welts, who is a fan of the show, and she's been on several times on Racing's Lenoir, topped the Saturday FEI Intermediate 1 um, competition. She won the CDI there. So that was great. Um, uh, Lono, she, he is a 10-year-old Danish warmblood gelding by Lorano uh, Denor. And she owns him, and her score was 71.754. And that was great because then that German Neve Myberg and Lexington Star earned a 71.667. And fellow German Marcus Orlob and Shakespeare were third with 71.623. So we're really excited that she yeah, won. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, we saw, we saw her when we were there, and actually we, um, we went over – to the global showgrounds where she was showing this horse in the in the national show, kind of preparing him for this, um, you know, these CDI events, and uh, you know, really, really enjoyed watching her and seeing her her um, training come out or, and in a in a good test that we saw. And it looks like she keeps improving on this horse, and uh, that's awesome. She's a great person, a yeah. great trainer too. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. It's really exciting. So we're, we're thumbs up for her. Yeah. And what what's the next thing in the news, Philip? Um, the Dressage Foundation's Continuing Education for Dressage Instructors Fund, um, established by Miral and Charles Barnett, has awarded grants to four indi- individuals to attend the United States Dressage Federation's Instructor Certification Program. 
Jackie Hardy from California, Megan McIsaac, which is a friend of the show, been on the show a few times, talking with trainer tips and stuff. We love Megan from uh, Wisconsin. Stacy Williams um, from UT? Utah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and Zoe Krause from Michigan each received a $1,250 grant to further their education. So congratulations to those winners and to improve uh, their instruction, I guess, and their certification. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and we always like friends of the show, you know, and things happen for them. So congratulations to Megan for sure. And our next piece of news is that Lars Peterson and Mariette win the Wellington World Cup freestyle, and they stay at atop of the North American League. So that was exciting. There was a big freestyle over the weekend, uh, which was excellent. Tina Cognat um, from Palm City, Florida, and her Olympic and World Equestrian partner, Collecto V, were second, 77.975, and followed by um, Danish rider Nicola Gunderson, uh, on My Lady, who's been having a great season. All those guys have with a 76.50%. So lots of great stuff and, and um, good show. And it sounded like this weekend uh, was was fabulous. So Super I busy. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. The, if you look at the scores online, you could see how big the classes were. Yep. These huge classes. And, uh, um, I mean, that's awesome. It just, you know, it says uh, a testament to the popularity of the Wellington show circuit and how many great riders and... And to you know to be able to win these classes, I think is uh, a huge achievement. It's yeah, get, almost you know getting up to the level of the European shows where they have these giant CDIs and stuff. So it's pretty awesome. So I got to give um, a fellow Canadian, Belinda Tressel, um, props because she won the Grand Prix Special with a with a uh, with a horse Anton, who has been sidelined due to injury for the for the past couple of years. He's it looks like he's back in form and uh, really going well. Uh, he, she says that this win was extra special. He feels really, really good and even better than before the injury. So uh, she's starting to get scores that, uh, that she's used to getting, um, you know, topping 72.431. That's a pretty good score for the, yeah, for the we'll special. Yeah, and uh, pretty awesome. Shelly Fra- Francis of Loxahatchee, um, place second, and uh, another Canadian, Ashley Holzer, um, rode, uh, I guess, a newer Grand Prix horse for her, Tiva Nina Nana, uh, to third place at 68%. So, pretty awesome. Way to go, Canada, right? I like Love that. Love it. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Way to go. And I, those are all great people. So, very exciting. And also, we talked about the Prancing with the Stars uh, fundraiser that they had, which was really exciting. This, they, they, there was uh, pictures on Facebook of all the U.S. team members. I saw Adrian Lyle. I saw, um, who else was on there? Todd Fletcherich, uh, Catherine Bateson. They all basically took dancing classes and did sort of like a Dancing with the Stars. So it looked like that they were a big, um, they were a big hit. And they actually raised $280,000 to support the American Dressage Team campaign for the World Equestrian Games in Normandy. So that is fabulous. That's really, really exciting that they were able to do that. And it looked like a lot of fun, actually, on Facebook, what I was seeing. So excellent. Cool. I want to hear more about how the dancing was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's always great. Uh, It looks like, uh, you know, well, this, this, I think, organized by Robert Dover. And I think he does a really great job at these fundraisers things, gets people excited and uh you know that's that's wonderful i mean it's it's so expensive to travel with the horses for all these top riders and stuff that you know have to go to europe for all the events and 
all the preparation and things. So um, I'm sure that that uh, the money will be used well and, and yes. greatly appreciated, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I guess next up, it, it looks like uh, Cesar Pera and Catherine Haddad will be the likely Americans for the world to to go to the World Cup final in uh, Lyon, France. So um, that's pretty exciting. I guess it's, yeah. is this the last World Cup show or close to the last World Cup show? Uh, oh, you know, I, I, yeah, I think it's it's getting close to the last one. And we saw Hotmail actually when we were in Florida. We were also stopped by Catherine's barn, and we she was just finishing riding him, so we got to. She was working on her freestyle, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, that was cool. And uh, yeah, we saw her training a little bit, <laughs> and then that's where we we reined her into um, to to come on the show and give us her trainer tip for last week. <laughs> exactly. We were uh, really good. pleased that she was able to uh, talk with us because obviously she's having a super busy season. Um, down there and, uh, you know, as everyone is showing and, and, you know, doing all this. So, um, we appreciate her coming on the show and that was great. So I think that's probably, a, that's pretty close yeah, to it for the news. news. Yeah. We yeah. got all the results in there and, uh, <laughs> you know, congratulations to the winners of all, all those classes and, and, you know, everybody who didn't win too. I mean, you know, riding really well and, uh, we see lots of top scores, uh, you know, coming to us uh, from Florida. So that's pretty awesome. Exactly. Enjoy the warmth while you got it. Where <laughs> everybody has to come back up here yeah, and it's still snowing, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's going to snow until August, I've decided. <laughs> it's never stopping. It's never going to stop. Well, great. No. Well, after this commercial break from Benefred Products, we're going to talk with blogger Lauren Spreiser uh, from the Chronicle of the Horse. Are you tired of treating your horse for soreness? Well, then be proactive. Benefab offers you and your horse a natural remedy to joint and muscle stiffness, inflammation, and circulatory deficiencies. Benefab offers a variety of innovative products, like saddle pads and polo wraps and quarter sheets for your horse, and socks and blankets for you. Simply ride in it or wear it and feel the difference Benefab's ceramic-infused products make. You can check them out online at BenefabProducts.com or you can call them toll-free at 855-957-8378. Well, it is my pleasure to have a friend on the show, Lauren Spreiser. She is an FEI competitor, high-performance rider, and owner of Spreiser Sport Horse from Virginia. Lauren, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you guys? We are great. Well, Philip has to make a confession about you. Go for it, Philip. Uh -oh. A confession about Lauren. Well, it's not that bad, you know. If <laughs> if my wife is ever listening to the show, I can't, you know. Exactly. But uh, no, I was just saying that uh, you know when we talk about having guests on, that I am a fan of Lauren's blog. I end up reading it um, from time to, from time to time. You know, you're searching around the internet, and uh, and I was just saying I really like. Lauren, I really like your blog, so uh, I thought we could have you on today to talk a little bit about blogging, but a little bit more about the content of your blog, because I think it's got a lot of really good stuff in there, you know, kind of what it's like to be a high-performance rider, and, um, you know, as you bring your horses along or you take them to shows, you kind of, you write, you blog about that, and uh, I think it comes across really honest, and it uh, gives a really good picture of, you know, what it's like to be to be a trainer and a rider and uh it's got lots of great stuff in there so i'm happy that you're that you come on to talk about it a little bit oh i'm happy to be here i'm glad you guys are into the blog i i can tell you that i have forty thousand dollars a year of liberal arts college 
uh, <laughs> uh, tuition that I'm that I'm you know dealing with that have allowed me to be able to spell all of the words in my blog. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that it is well received. Absolutely. So we asked you to pick some of your favorite blogs. So let's get into it. What's your favorite blog? You know, it was it was sort of an unfair question. I, I checked. I was curious to see how, you know, I know I've been doing this for a couple of years. I started blogging for the Chronicle in 2009. I have written 372 blogs since 2009. Wow. Um, and it's funny, you write the first one and you're like, well, that's it. That's all I have to say. I will never, I can't come up with anything else interesting. Mm-hmm. And then on entry number 200, you're like, oh, nope, that was totally it. That one was definitely the last one. Uh, I still can't come up with anything interesting. And then you do, and it just keeps going. Um, But one of my favorites was one that I published fairly recently, um, and it got run over a little bit by by a terrible accident, by Silva Martin's accident. Um, I I posted shortly after this blog a blog about helmets, and that got a lot of press. Um, But this blog, which I published on March 6th, was called Coping Skills. Um, And it's one that I have been thinking about a lot. A couple years ago, I read Daniel Coyle's the Talent Code, which is an excellent non-horse-related but still totally horse-related read if you all are looking for a book. Um, and it's about how success is not just about who is the most talented. It's, it, he, he proposes sort of a formula for success um, that has to do with training and hard work and a spark of passion. And as I've been doing this for a while, I've made a bunch of FBI horses now, a couple of them from scratch. You know, people ask me all the time, well, when you're looking for a horse, what do you look for? And it's not fancy gates, although that's nice. And it's not good confirmation, although that's important. It's the ability to put pressure on a horse. It's the ability to say, hey, come on. I know you're tired. I know it's 107 degrees. I know you're afraid of that plant. I know you don't want to, but you have to do it anyway. Um, and I have a horse who can take that kind of pressure um, is really the most important thing that I look for. Um I don't think that's I don't think it's a born quality. I think there are certainly horses that are more tolerant than others. Um, you know, there are horses that are edgier and more confident. There are horses that are wimpier, a little more a little more happy to be led places, uh, both physically and emotionally. Um, but that on all of them, that ability to put pressure on comes from nurture as well as nature. The the systematic training of I'm sorry, I'm going to put my leg on, you're going to deal with it. Or you're going to get on this trailer, you're going to deal with it. Or you're going to put your head down or up or to the left or over by that scary plant um, and deal with it. And that that is really the thing that, that makes them into Grand Prix horses. And I will I will plug you because I, I have known you now. Uh, we did Young Riders together and you did Young Riders with my sister. And so that's, yep. you know, a couple years ago. <clears throat> but um, yeah, but you, I, you have made some amazing Grand Prix horses that, to be honest, and I think we've had this conversation for sure over a glass of wine, you've picked horses that I would have never, ever picked. And I, and I mean that in a good way, in the sense of you saw something in that horse that you said, that's going to be rideable and that's going to be trainable. And by golly, you do it. And, and that's pretty impressive. So those, you know, hearing some of the qualities that you pick, I will tell everybody, Lauren can pick a horse and you don't necessarily <laughs> pick, you know, I've seen you on some, I mean, um, non-traditional breeds. Is that a way, a good way to put it? Yeah. And that's so yeah. extravagant horses too, like you said earlier. And that's awesome. I mean, not, a, not a lot of people can do that. I think 
um, you know, there's a lot of fancy horses that that also need to be made Grand Prix horses. I think you know, a horse is not born a Grand Prix horse. So, if you're good at picking a horse for yourself, that's that's a super super. I mean, you can make lots of horses that way over a lifetime. And uh, uh, yeah, again, you have to have to commend Lauren for that for sure. Yeah, thank you. You really, you really do amazing job. Speaking of young writers, in the in the blog, I brought that idea back to young people. Um, I, I'm at the point in my career now where I'm starting to teach a lot of FEI junior, FEI young rider, FEI pony type kids, kids who want, you know are, are high performance youth. Um, and I was reflecting fairly recently on how most of the kids that we did young riders with, you know, however many <clears throat> years ago that was. Um, <laughs> Who, who went on to win individual medals, most of them are not the ones that are successful late 20 to mid 30-year-olds now. The ones that were really big successes as young riders, a lot of them stopped riding. Maybe they couldn't take the pressure. Maybe they didn't want to take the pressure. Maybe they said, good God, instead of becoming a professional rider and spending a lot of money and not really ever making any money and having to clean stalls and stuff, I could go get a real job and be an amateur and pay somebody else to deal with all the actual crap. Um, some of them don't ride anymore at all. And the ones that were 24th or 11th or 9th, those are the ones who learned a little bit of grit and hung in there and stayed in the professional ranks and are now super successful. That's not universally true. There are lots of individual young rider medalists who've gone on to be successful, but there's also a lot who weren't so good at 18 or 19 or 20 who have turned out to be really good later. And yeah, I think that there's, there's, there's something in common there, the ability to hang in there and deal with the pressure and, and suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Life's hard. No, yeah, no, that's so true. That is very true, actually. Um, true in, in, in my family. You know, my sister, um, Lindsay's a wonderful rider, and she, she has gotten a real job and had babies, and she was the individual medalist of the two. Um, I, yep. I did not uh, have an individual medal. Um, so, yep. and at least in my family, that's true, um, that I was the one that hung in there and, and, and became the professional rider. So, yeah, so I think that's very true. Absolutely. I have, I have a, another question, you know, uh, to Lauren on this topic a little bit, because I really like the topic, picking out a horse and, and training it all the way yourself. Um, what, how, you know, how do you evaluate a horse that also enjoys doing dressage? So, I mean, you brought about the point, the horse that you can put some pressure on and, and they're really rideable and, and they want to please their rider. But how, you know, how do you pick a horse that also kind of enjoys the repetition of dressage? Because I think you need not so much of a, super smarty pants horse, but one that doesn't mind being schooled a little bit. Yeah, there's there's sort of no diplomatic way to say this, but some of my best horses have been not terribly bright. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what, know, I mean, that's what, what I, you know, that's a good way, yeah. By God, you know, they're not, they're not really necessarily smart enough to pick it up on the first try, but then it also means that they're not smart enough to think of the 37 ways to get out of doing something. And once <laughs> yeah. they learn it, yeah. by yeah. God, they learn it. Point them at the yeah. goalpost. Um, how do you do that? I have no idea. I've gotten terribly lucky, I think, is, is the truth of that. Um, but, you know, it also is in how you nurture them along. You know, when, you, when they do it right once, sometimes you'll have to leave them alone. And that's, oh, man, is that hard as a rider to not go, oh, I want to try it just one more time. Let me see yeah. if I can get just one yeah. more clean flying change. Let me get the pee off just a little bit more on the spot. No, no, 
put the reins down, step away from <laughs> yes, the animal. Yes, so true. <laughs> and and we've uh, all made that mistake. I mean, that's a, that's a oh, legit mistake that we've all yeah, made. And you're like, man, shouldn't have done that, right? Yeah. Shouldn't have gone there. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Well, and if you're lucky, you one. picked a horse that isn't so pitchy as to be offended when you make one mistake. When you make thirty mistakes, it's allowed to dump you. But but the first mistake, it's it's got to have some coping skills. It's got to have the ability to deal with sometimes the fact that the rider is going to be wrong. Yes. Yes. Very true. Very true. I love it. Good. I love it. Well, well, let's move on. What what, uh, what other blogs do you want to talk about with us today? I like it. Uh, going back in time a little bit, going back to January of this year is, I think, I, I don't have perfect stats on this, but I'm pretty sure that this is my, my most read blog. It went kind of viral. It was written in January on the 29th. It was called Caging the Railbirds. Um, this got almost 19,000 individual hits, which is wow. pretty cool. I'm really, I'm really glad I spelled everything right. Cause that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it was one that I wrote um, not because anything actually happened, but because I was riding a client horse um, here in Florida, and, and the farm that I'm renting is, is on, well, by Floridian standards, a fairly busy intersection. There's a lot of traffic that goes by, and the ring is right there. Um, and this is a horse that I did not train myself, and it... it has not a training issue. It's not like it's throwing itself on the ground or anything, but, but you know, something that I'm having to get a little creative in my approach to dealing with. And every time a car goes by, I think to myself, good God, I hope they don't think that I am, you know, riding this unusual way on purpose and they think I'm some kind of moron. <laughs> and I stopped myself one day and I said, first of all, nobody cares. Nobody's paying any attention to you. You are just not that important. Um, but I also thought, you know, this is a community here in, in white fences in Florida that is mostly full of really good people that, you know, competent riders that know that training a horse is not a linear process. Um, and, and just the fact that I would be worried about what other people thought of my training, you know, it's kind of silly. It was like, gosh, you know, don't we all have something better to worry about? Um, and so the blog was about thinking about gossip and thinking about people judging things that they may not understand the whole story of, you know, if somebody what did drive by as I was riding the course, you know, they might think, Oh, you know, God, that Lawrence Breiser, she's such an idiot for riding that way because they don't know the whole story about the course. How many, how many people have we heard get snotty about beginner amateur riders who spent a lot of money on school horses saying, Oh, well, you know, Susie Q is only able to get around at this level because she bought that horse. Hey, because that person bought that horse, She's learning. She's learning on a trained animal instead of, you know, having to slog it out on something that may or may not know the answers. And she's giving a job to a trainer. She's, pay, you know, paid money to another rider. With that money, that rider could go out and get five more horses, you know. There's there's economics to all this. There's, there's uh, you know, a lot of good that comes from somebody buying a schoolmaster. So get over yourself. That was what that blog was sort of all about. I love it. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is so true. And, and you get it in your own communities. You get it in Wellington. You get it everywhere. And, and really, at the end of the day, um, I, we don't have it in our barn. That's just, it's something that negative yeah, energy and negative chi, you know. the worst shit in this sport. Yep. I mean, you it's just, it. it's the worst part. It makes everything not fun, you know, to think right. that somebody yep. is looking on and, and, 
and being negative or just saying something about you. And it's so prominent. I wish there was some way just to eliminate it, you know? Um, well, I think there, I think there is a way to eliminate it. And I think number one, you know, what Lauren's saying is that is, you know, what, what, why do I care what other people say? Number one, and having self-confidence enough to say that. And number two, I think it starts in your own barn and, and with your trainer and, and with your peer group. And that is, you know, really nobody goes out to ride badly. I don't think anybody wakes up to say, you know, today I'm going to ride badly or I'm going to try to torture my horse. Nobody says that. You <laughs> yeah, know what I'm saying? Nobody's trying to do that. No, Nobody's exactly. trying to do that. And, no. and we all are trying to do it and we all have family limitations and we have a lot of us have financial lim- in limitations. And I mean, there's like Lauren said, there's just so much in the sport that we don't know, or you don't know my making a nasty comment. And, you know, I am very, and, and I know Lauren's this way and Philip, you're also this way is that is, we just don't, we, I don't, I don't put up with it. I don't put up with it at horse shows. You know, I tell all my students and clients we're nice to everybody and, you know, and you say it, nice things. It's, I mean, yeah. it's a golden rule, isn't it? Like treat everyone like you would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and, and if there is a train, I mean, the, if there's a trainer, that you don't agree with their training or they say something you don't like or whatever just there's an you know it's there's an easy way way to to not support them by not giving them any money right i mean that's that's the easiest thing you support mm-hmm. trainers and riders and people that you believe in by taking lessons from them or buying a horse from them and everybody else can do their own thing that's the only thing you can do and that's a professional thing to do and that's it like you know back talking or or, you know, writing a post. I mean, the internet has just opened all this stuff. I mean, just a huge can of worms, you know, and posting stuff that, you know, and what's the point of that? I mean, you just, you get caught in a negative cycle yourself and it's it's no fun, it's no good, and it's it's horrible. So, you know, I liked, I, 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 I was one of those that read that blog and really liked it. And, um, you know, I commend you for bring, bringing that topic up because I think it needs to be discussed often and brought up often and reminded to everyone all the time so that's great well thank you thank you lauren all right what's the next one uh the next one's a little sad but it was it was a piece of writing that i was really proud of um a couple of years ago i had a, a really really good mare that i was just starting to figure out the grand prix with and she got hurt um, and the and the injury that she sustained would end up taking her life, and and it was this summer where we put her down. Um, so on September 22nd, we put Claire Voya, my then 15 year old Hanoverian mare, down. Um, I've had to put animals down before. I've had to put my own animals down before, um, but letting her go was was really. It was it was the the easiest hard thing I've ever had to do for sure. It was time. She made it very clear that it was time, um, but it was also really the the it was a terrible, frustrating end because this is this line of work. If you pick this line of work, let me tell you, it's not a matter of if this is going to happen, but when this is going to happen. We were just starting to figure it out. I was just starting to get good, and it all fell apart. And that's <laughs> that's the breaks. If I if I wanted an easier line of work, I would have been something else. But um, writing about her, writing about the role that she played in my career, not just in my career, in the ribbons that she won me, but also in my life, the lessons that she taught me, the mistakes she let me make and recover from and be a better rider because of it. 
it was very cathartic and and helped me close that chapter um, with a remarkable remarkable amount of peace. Um, and she was that kind of girl too. She would have she would have wanted everybody around her to be happy. So that was pretty neat. Wow, I, I saw you ride that mirror many, many times for for a number of years, and you really, uh, she she was one that I looked at and I thought, oh, I don't know, Lauren, and you believed in her, and and you really did some amazing things with with her, um, and I think we have all been there. You know, I've been there with my own horses and um, one young horse that I had that that kind of went through a similar thing, and it is really hard. It really takes the wind out of your sails. It really does. Um, but you're right. I mean, at some point, in, and I, I would say this is not just professional riders. I mean, this is any rider when you have horses for many years. Um, it, it's not if, it's when. And, and I think it's always um, helpful to hear other people's stories so that when you are going through it, you're able to sort of deal and cope with it. So it's a, it's a difficult, it is definitely a difficult topic to go through. Yeah, I mean, and everyone deals with these things in a, a little bit different way. And it's interesting to hear that, um, you know, kind of getting it out in your blog helped with the catharsis of, of the whole process. And, um, you know, we all grieve in a, in a different way, but maybe um, people can can write about their own experiences when, they, when they're dealing with loss. And, and, you know, like I said, there's this, this the internet thing is really hurt some parts of our business and our sport but it's also helped in a lot of different ways and and this can be one of them get, getting your story out there and um Absolutely. you know people can hear about it you know and uh and and help you know there's a whole community around us that that has experienced this and uh and that can support you and it can support everybody in in a different way to uh to deal with this but yeah i mean sooner or later it happens doesn't it I've been very lucky, one, um, in just what you said, Philip, the, the online community, the support around this blog in particular, the comments on Facebook, the emails that I got from people, people who didn't know me, people who did know me, people who'd never seen the horse go, people who had known the horse, um, that was really lovely. I'm also incredibly fortunate to have two of her daughters, um, one of whom wow. is under saddle and actually... Uh, what helped me get to writing this blog, this, the, the blog that got published was probably the fifth or sixth version of the blog, and I'm not a rewriter. I'm a terrible, terrible professional writer. I'm a one-hit wonder. I never edit anything. My editors hate my guts sometimes. Um, but what helped me figure out how to approach this blog was that I rode her daughter for the first time, and I was kind of okay. Like, I was doing okay in accepting that, she was, that we were about to put her down, and then I sat on her then three-year-old daughter and it was exactly like sitting on her mother it was the exact same view and I burst into tears like a little girl and to give great credit to the three-year-old she stood there let me cry on her for about five minutes um and that was how I was able to sort of get that out and then sit down and write something that didn't stink yeah yeah well and, and I think it's it's what a special chapter that you have her daughter and that's pretty cool that you that she does very cool you know that that she does live on in your heart and in your in your barns. That's wonderful. Um, so, so Lauren, do you have one more for us? I have one more, and this is a funny one. This is a, going back a little further. This is going back to uh, last, a little before last summer, um, and it started with a comment that my mom made. First, let's talk about my mom. My mom is an incredibly amazing. Uh, 
accomplished, successful woman. My mother speaks four languages. She's a big time corporate executive and she's really smart. And she's sitting on her horse and she looks over at me and she says, you know, it's just sort of occurring to me now. This is really hard work. <laughs> and I remember looking at her like she had three heads and I said, um, duh, like, of course it's hard work. What are you talking about? And he said, no, I, I good riding, uh, bad riding looks like bad riding. You know, you can, you can look at bad riding and go, ugh, that's bad riding. But when you watch a really good rider, it looks like no riding. It looks like they're just sitting there. It looks like they're doing nothing. And I, my mother, I didn't realize that it was hard, that you actually had to push with your leg and grab a little bit with your belly when you have fault. And I guess that thought had really never occurred to me either. I've been doing this since I was a child. And so, you know, it's been a long time since a ride made me sore, uh, physically sore. But when you're learning, you're sore all the time, especially when you're learning as an adult. And you're sore all the time because it's hard. It's physical work. Um, so I wrote a blog last summer about stepping up to the plate physically, uh, that, that demanding fitness of our horses isn't enough, that we also have to be fit ourselves. Um, and, and for me, that's been, you know, I'm riding fitness is pretty easy when you do this for a living. Um, but over the last couple of years, I've gotten to distance running and triathlons and the, the same hit that last diagonal in the Grand Prix when it's 106 degrees and you're in your long coat and you just want to freaking die is the same feeling that I bring into, you know, the last quarter mile of my triathlons or the last half a mile of my road races. Um, so that was kind of fun to write about. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, we talk about this all the time in the show because, you know, not every amateur rider has a lot of opportunity to ride five horses, 10 horses a day, like the professionals do. So we're always trying to bring up different cross training options and different ways to, uh, to get yourself fit so that if you are riding twice a week or three times a week, that you're doing something in between and that riding really does require fitness. The only, and like you said, the only problem is, is that when we watch the best riders in the world, it's like they're not doing anything, right? And it's like they're just sitting yeah. on the horse and you think, well, I don't have to be fit because the, the goal is not to do anything. But really, you have to get past this. Yeah, they're all just sitting there. So I know the more that I just sit there, the easier it gets and the more it's dressage. But really, it's kind of like you got to go through this whole be really fit and ride your horse phase. And then there's that phase of and only when you get to Grand Prix and the horse is done Grand Prix for two or three seasons and you know where you're at that you kind of get to that phase. So like most people and, and I myself have never really you know, gotten to that part yet. So it's always like this struggle and, you know, okay, you've got to help your horse make the half pass a little better or the extension a little better, but it's, it's not really sitting there and let the horse do the work. I mean, every day it's a training. I think hopefully when you get into the ring and into your, you know, five minute test that you're actually going to be able just to sit there and guide the horse around the ring. But, you know, even in the warm up, it's just a, a lot of work. It's a lot of friggin' work, you know, and, and the goal is to be able to do that 10 minute test, five minute test. And that part of the thing is not work, but the rest is, and to get there and, and daily training and, um, you know, you don't, you don't get there by just sitting on the horse. I think that's the point. So I, I, I read that one. I like that blog too. 
<laughs> yeah. And that the fact that you're doing triathlons, I mean, I, I, I am so in awe of that. And I was, when you started, I think you started last winter in Florida and you came over and you were like, I'm, I've got to go run. And I'm like, what? I mean, that's a lot. It's hard because it's even when you ride six, seven horses a day, um, really for trainers to get fit, you have to go do something else. <laughs> so sometimes the thought for me, at least to go off and, and do something else is, oh, but, um, I, I really commend you on that too, because that is really hard to do that and to be disciplined outside of if, cause for us it is work. I mean, it's fun and I enjoy, I mean, my goodness, I am so lucky to have the job that I do. Um, but it is work. And so, you know, to go outside of work and, and go to the gym and, and run and is, is really hard. So very impressive that you do that. Thank you. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a couple, I had a couple questions because, you know, you came with your own blog topics and that's awesome. But I wonder, um, do you read the comments, uh, about your blogs and about, you know, that are, are you into, are you into that or do you just ignore them? There is this really, really hysterical and not necessarily work-appropriate website called The Oatmeal that is done by a guy named Matthew Inman. And Matthew Inman wrote this comment, uh, com- web, com- web comic excuse me, um, about publishing content for the Internet, and he nailed it. He said, you know, it does not matter if you have, you know, 300 positive comments or 3,000 positive comments. If there is one negative comment in there, your day is just totally ruined and your life is over. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I would love to say that I rise above and don't read the comments. I do read the comments and every negative comment, and they're rare. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, insulting people and, and, you know, giving bad training advice or anything, but there's every now and then will be one person who doesn't agree or there's a misunderstanding, and clearly I have failed. I'm a a disaster and should be shot. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any of your uh, of your favorite or worst comments that you've gotten? Oh man! We'll give you a bit of a soapbox um, I, if you want. If you want, if you want, you can, we jump can talk on about it. it. Um, the one of one of my favorite blogs that, that we didn't talk about was about this hysterical little Arabian that I have in training, and this thing is freaking awesome. But he comes from the English pleasure world, and. I don't ever think that I made fun of the English pleasure world. I mean, hey, you know, do what you do. I don't, I don't know enough about that world to make a judgment call on it. But somebody decided that I did. And in this blog where I'm praising, I'm singing the praises of riding this goofy little 14 freehand Arabian in dressage and how much I love him. Someone was like, well, obviously you don't understand how magnificent the Arabians are. And I'm like, didn't I just spend an entire blog talking about how magnificent the Arabian is? Um, That's too bad. Ella, Allegria, a couple of years ago, we qualified for the Brentina Cup, and two weeks before Gladstone, she got a little summer virus, and we had to scratch. And I remember writing a blog about that, um, disappointment of that, about uh, the blog started something like, sometimes I wish I'd been an accountant. Um, I'm the child of accountants. I know what a hard (laughs) life accountants have, and yet that didn't stop the accountants from writing in and telling me how tumultuous and difficult their lives are. I understand, guys. I'm related to some. I take accounting very seriously. <laughs> um, oh, man. Okay. Sometimes the crazy is funny, and sometimes the crazy is like, call the police. But yeah. nobody showed up at my house yet. That's good. 
That's yeah. yeah, that's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight and talking about your blog. I mean, hopefully we can do it again sometime. If you're if you're writing interesting blogs you want to talk about, send us a message and we'll uh, we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll bring it on the show. It's a, I think you got a lot of great topics on your blog and it's worth a read. So that's awesome. But how else can people find you on the internet if they want to you know contact you or talk to you? You can find me on my personal website, which is laurenspreiser.com. Spreiser is S-P-R-I-E-S-E-R. Uh, you can also find my farm website at spreisersporthorse.com. Uh, both of those have their own Facebook pages. There's a Lauren Spreiser Facebook page where I publish uh, links to all of my blogs when they go live on the Chronicle website. Um, you can also find me at Twitter at, at Lauren Spreiser. Um, and you can also find me on experiencedressage.com, which is USEF uh, Dressage Owners Task Force website. If you are interested in owning part of a dressage horse, you can be the owner of part of my exceptional three-year-old daughter of Claire Vlaya, whose name is Goya, and is going to take over the world. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Well, Lauren, thank you so much, and we can't wait to have you on again. Thanks, guys. Well, that was a great discussion with Lauren. She is fabulous, and you can tell she really enjoys what she does with the blogging, and she really, truly is a great writer and trainer. So we really appreciate that, and hopefully she'll come back on again and tell us, uh, you know, keep us up to date with all of her blogs. So after this next commercial break, we have one of our favorite segments of the month. Hilary Moore Hebert, Senior Editor of Dressage Today, will come on and tell us what's happening in the magazine this month. Jen here, host of the Horse Tip Daily Show on the Horse Radio Network. The way consumers interact with the brands they have trusted for years and those they are about to fall in love with for the first time is becoming more and more mobile, literally, and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Podcasts or internet radio shows like this one combine the new consumer preference for on-demand information and entertainment with the power of niche market audiences. Advertising on the Horse Radio Network podcasts allows you to reach the equestrian consumer using today's preferred on-demand delivery system. It's cost-effective and flexible, able to reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. To learn more about advertising on this show or any of the shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact us at 859-951-2022 or you can email us at glenn at horseradionetwork.com. That's glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com. Come and join the Horse Radio Network family. You'll enjoy the ride. Well, it is time for our favorite segment of the month. We have Hillary Moore Hebert, the senior editor, editor from Dressage Today on. Hillary, how are you? Hi, thanks. How are you guys? We are great. Surviving. We, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. We're great. Oh, yeah. Philip's surviving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Philip, I don't ever want to move to Canada. I'm just saying. In it's the, fun in the summer. Yeah, for the two days. For, for the two days summer. in the summer, it's fun. Okay, all right. Well, Hillary, tell us, what do you have from Dressage Today this this month? We're looking forward to it, as always. 
So the first thing I want to talk about is um, one of my personal favorites, just because I get a chance to pick the topic and write it. It's uh, our Dressage 101 column that I do every month. And this month uh, is the Three Loop Serpentine. So we've already covered arena geometry and the 20-meter circle and how to find the four points that you need to be riding to make sure that you're hitting each part of the track correctly. And then I combine that into the figure eight, which is just really easy. It's two 20-meter uh, circles. So the serpentine is then three uh, half 20-meter circles. And I think that that is a really important thing and very easy for people to miss is that the serpentine is three half 20-meter circles. It's not diagonal lines. You're not doing a zigzag of any kind. You ride half of a 20-meter circle when you hit the center line, you change direction, do the half in the center, and then you change back. So the key, if I could put it in bright red letters with an asterisk next to it, is you must be parallel to the short side every time you cross the center line. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're I know. Reese and I just sat here and went, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's really important. And, and when we teach it, I think that's, you know, that's something that we must, must, must hit on when we ch teach it. And, um, you know, it, it can be hard because there is an element of straightness in your in your serpentine. And I remember talking to somebody maybe a couple of days ago, I was teaching, uh, we were doing serpentines, and I said, really, the, the bending the bending in the in the half circles really allows you to get the horse straight across the middle. If you can't bend left and then right, then you, you also can't ride straight in the middle. So the bending leads you to straightness. So don't forget to ride straight across, you know, when you when you cross the center line each time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, and, and this was a great article. Actually, I was telling Hillary right before we came on the air, I actually read it at lunch one day and I tore it out and I took it to the tack room and I said, everybody needs to read this. Please do not make this mistake anymore. So this is a great column and it's really good. And I, I literally told Hillary, I was like, I read that one and it was awesome. And it was going to be super helpful in teaching and getting everybody on the same page. So those dressage 101s highly recommend that article for sure. So. Yeah, and, and and I just wanted to put one more thing in before we go into the next thing is that if if you if you can't ride the basic stuff really well, you can't move up. I mean, that's something that like oh well, you know, I can do shoulder in and all this, but can you do a serpentine? You know, as you're training your horse and as you're moving up the, through the levels, it's great just to go back and check on your basics because they definitely affect you know all the other things that that come into place. Remember, it's you know it's building blocks and it's and it's training through a pyramid and all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, even these articles are great even for riders at the pre-St. George level because go back and do a, 20, you know, do a big serpentine and ride it really, really well and really, really accurately. It's, it's, super, it's super important and it's worth doing. So. Well, and also I think, um, you know, even more fundamentally than that, I think if you can ride that movement figure, you know, correctly, um, it shows that you have an understanding of the geometry of the dressage arena. And um, I made sure we're putting up the past articles. So if you missed them, January is up on dressagetoday.com. But it shows that you understand that in a large arena, there's six meters to the first letter, 12 to the next. You understand where each point of those things meet. And it's a, a 
figure that really challenges you to do that, but it also sets you up, like you guys were saying, for everything up through the Grand Prix. Because if you don't understand, you know, how many meters between the letters there are, you're never going to be able to get half of the pieces of the test as accurate as you need to get an 8, 9, or 10. It's true. And I'm going to open a slight soapbox for myself right now. And that is, um, it is okay to work on basic movements. I've had people or heard people say, well, in that lesson, we just worked on circles. We and just, yeah, we moves. just, yeah, I hate that. Oh, I mean, I just want to bang my head against the wall. Because to me, if you can't do a proper serpentine, like Philip was saying, you can't move on. Like you can't move on and just do a serpentine loop and counter canter just because you can. Like it, 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 there's nothing wrong with going back and understanding what the basics are. So I think it's great. And like I said, I read this article and I was like, this is a great article. I'm so glad that I sat down and read this at lunch. This was great. And it just it just tells us you never can have your basics good enough. Your geometry can never quite be good enough. You you, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's what we strive for. So if your instructor is going back and 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 you're doing a lot of basic work before serpentines and I mean I'm sorry before shoulder in and haunches in, take that as hey I mean I maybe I need to to refocus my energies on my geometry of the arena or just my basic stuff. So. I just had to put that in there. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, uh, something happened, I think it was this week, that um, I was teaching somebody for the first time. And so I did, a, you know, a normal lesson and, and whatever. And then uh, Meredith, my wife, I was talking to the person I was teaching, like, later on in the week. And, and uh, she was talking to her. And she said, how was your lesson with Phil? And, you know, it all was worked out. And, and she said, oh, fine, we walked out canter. And, and Meredith said to her, you cantered in your first lesson with Phil? Like, that's mm-hmm. something. Like, that's huge. And she's like, really? We just, you know, we did everything 20 meters circles. But, you know, like, I'm huge on that. Like, you don't even get to canter before you can trot, at least, at a, you know, and keep a circle and, and all this stuff. But, I mean, you get people that are very impatient and they want to just ride all the fancy tricks and, and just, you know, go back and say, like, the tricks are nothing. It's hard to ride a good serpentine, you know? It so, is. So there you go. That's, yeah, I just keep going back and reiterating that point because it's, it's, it's real. I mean, when you talk about riders that come from America or Canada and go to Europe and get put on the lunge line for six months because, they, because quote, unquote, they don't even know how to ride, like, that's, that's the thing that has to come more over here, I think, and, and just make sure the seats and the basics and, and you know, the figures are correct. So I'm glad that uh, we get a chance to go, go back and discuss them all the time. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. So what's so our next one, Mary? Yeah, so for my next thing, it's we're sort of now progressively moving up the levels. And I think that this speaks to the exact same thing of making sure that you have that foundation. Nicola uh, Gunderson, who has been taking butt and taking names down in uh, Wellington with my lady did our cover story. And we said, you know, what is it that you want to talk about? She said, the most important thing to me is shoulder and shoulder four. And if you can't do that, you can't do anything else. And we have gotten so many letters from people saying how important it is and just how fantastic it is. And I really totally agree with that. I think riding in a position where you are making sure your horse's haunches aren't falling in is really important. And I was excited to talk to you guys about how you think about 
shoulder in and shoulder four in relation to straightness, um, you know, and what that does in terms of your approach to training horses. Well, for me, um, I, I really learned this lesson actually on my Grand Prix horse, Casper, because let me tell you what, if he wasn't in shoulder four to the right, he was crooked. It just, it just was the way it was. And so, and he was the one that I showed internationally. And he taught me that if I wasn't watching that shoulder four, uh, we were in trouble. So I learned that lesson, thankfully, from him. He was so good about teaching me that. So I, from that moment on, have a better understanding where my horse's haunches need to be. Um, So I really focus on it. And I ride a lot of, I have a bunch of horses right now that are like, first level to second level. So they really struggled and they're young. So, you know, we come around the corner sometimes and we are absolutely fishtailing out of the corner. I mean, we're all over the place. We fish our left, we fish our right. So I'm really working with them to come out of the corner. Uh, sometimes we have to rebalance and circle and come out on shoulder four. Some of them aren't even into shoulder in yet. Um, but I, I, I'm really focusing on that with those guys right now because um, I really lose control. So, um, so that was kind of my experience. Was I learned it? I learned it on my Grand Prix horse that I had to focus on, and now on the young ones that I ride, um, it's really important that that they learn not to be crooked like that. That's kind of where I am. Yeah, I mean, for me, a shoulder in is just it, it is dressage. I mean, it's about it has so much to do with with the balance of the horse, how they're using their hind leg. I mean, and, and you know, it, it, there's different varying degrees of, of how to ride shoulder in, depending on what level the horse is at, is what are you doing with your shoulder in? I mean, in the beginning, it's all about establishing your outside rein, and your outside rein is everything. Your, your horse isn't on the bit if it can't, you know, if it doesn't accept the outside rein. And so, you know, in the beginning, you start by using it as a suppling exercise, and then it becomes, like you said, a real straightening exercise and, and teaching riders to become aware of the haunches, aware of the hind legs. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, it truly is everything. It's, it's, it's way more important to have uh, an established shoulder in than, than Traver. I mean, Traver is all about bending and, and suppleness and, um, but you know, it's not as important as, as the shoulder into the outside rein, it's just, it's, it's, it's even hard to describe how, how important it is to, uh, to riders and horses to be able to, not just to go kind of sideways across the arena, but how, how is the horse accepting the outside rein as a balancing aid, as a, as a rhythm teacher? It's, yeah, it's, it does so many jobs for us as riders that, uh, that it's, it's, uh, importance can't be overstated, I really think, so. That's good. The more articles think, about, yeah, about children, the better, yeah. Well, and I think what has been interesting to me as I progress as a rider is having this feeling of first it being something that sort of, you know, when you first learn children, you sort of think about, okay, I'm going like, quote unquote, crooked, I'm sideways, my horse is not straight. Then I think the next thing that I found was, that fundamental understanding of the outside rein and how you really have to be connected there, that you're not compressing the inside. You're pushing the horse into the, the connected outside rein, and you have the control of that shoulder. And then the, the next thing that I found that I really like, and this is what I use the most for, I think, um, I probably do shoulder four more for 
feeling that outside shoulder, but I really like also what you were just saying about how it gets behind and active. And if you have a horse that has a tendency to be out behind, what you can really do to get them to be stepping underneath themselves so that the quality of their gait comes through. And I noticed that we have a lot of uh, non-warm bloods at the barn that this past couple of years have just been doing phenomenally well uh, with their owners, and a lot of it is coming from encouraging them to be stepping under more, and that shoulder in is just absolutely the secret to improve their gait quality, I think. No, absolutely. I think absolutely, you, yeah. I mean, you, you gotta, can't do enough of it. Yeah, no, and you got to stack the, the shoulders on top of the hind legs for that to happen, right? You know, it teaches yeah. connection, right? If you don't have, you know, a horse moving towards the outside rein, you have no way of connecting them to the bridle. It's just... That's just it, you know. There's no way around it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to learn it. You got to ride it. You got to spend years and years and years. I don't even, you know, like I think, you know, every day I'm trying to improve, you know, my ability to ride the, you know, shoulder four and shoulder and make the horse a little bit more bending, make the horse a little bit straighter. I mean, you can't get good enough of this stuff. That's that's the way it is. And and if anybody can see Michaela Gunderson ride, she is great, and she is is also a wonderful person. She's a mom. She's really cool, uh, really cool person, and she's is great to ride. And I think I, she just won a Grand Prix uh, today. Um, she just won a Grand Prix um, in Florida, so she's really somebody to watch. And and if you ever get to see a ride in person, I would recommend it for sure. So great. Well, Hillary, how about our next one? Okay, so the next thing as we're moving up the levels um, is the article that we did with Janet Foy, um, one of our favorite judges, and she talks about the new medium tour, which is the transition from the small tour, pre-St. George, I won, into the Grand Prix, um, and I, I think it's a really interesting idea because you now have an easier transition for horses that can't jump from the small tour to the big tour right away. Um, And you could theoretically, especially with as much that's going on with the winter circuit, you could be doing, you know, um, the small tour, work your way up, and really theoretically by probably Devin be working, um, you know, and getting ready for the big leagues. And I wanted to hear what you guys thought about this new medium tour. If you knew anyone who's ridden it or, um, you know, has at the very least run through the test to see what it's like. Cause I have not, you know, I have not either. Um, Philip, you had a great interview with Ann Gribbins a couple of weeks ago about yeah, this. Here on the we show. Had, uh, yeah. We had Ann Gribbins come on and talk about the movements and, um, it's, it's really neat. Actually, we had a, and in the barn, we had a horse that did the I-2 last year. Um, was maybe a, a bit much for the horse, so we're looking at being able to do the the medium, the you know, the intermediate A and B this year. We got to check on the rules and stuff, but uh, um, it's great. I mean, it's uh, you know, like I said, you know, like we talked about with Ann, it's you know, a way to. Um, train the horse towards Grand Prix, but not have to show it in the Grand Prix right away. So um, it, it's got some really interesting transitions and, you know, allowing the PF to travel a little bit, but it's also got some really hard movements in there um, that we talked about, for example, having to do uh, the line of twos 
and then a little bit of uh, uber striking canter or letting the reins go a little bit in the canter and then coming down the other diagonal and doing a line of one. So it's not like it's easy peasy Grand Prix. It's It's got lots of great elements in there. I think they did a really great job of, of um, writing the test. So as it reads, we haven't started writing through tests yet this year, but as it reads, um, it's, it's very interesting and a great stepping stone uh, towards Grand Prix, which is... I think what it was uh, intended for. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to uh, to see how it goes this year with the with the horses that we might put in the in those classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And and I, you know, having a horse that I'd like to do Grand Prix maybe next year, it'd be a really good maybe. There's a lot of maybe in there, uh, but it's a great way to look at at something before putting her in the Grand Prix is is putting her in that. And, and and running through a few, so I think it's a really good way to to think about training a horse to to getting to Grand Prix because it is such a huge leap from Pre St George I one to Grand Prix. I mean, it's you know basically college athletics to pros. I mean, it's just a huge. It's leap. big, yeah. And, so, and the and the other problem yeah. is is when you get to the Grand Prix, there's nothing higher, so you may be competing against horses that have been there for three or four years, really established, sure. and and it's kind of like well, oh, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, Reese entered this horse in the Grand Prix and it's getting a 59 and all the other horses were getting, well, it's not apples to apples, right? You know, right. when you get to Grand Prix, it's lots of horses that are just trying it out for the first time. Obviously, it takes a while to establish yourself at that level to, you know, get the top scores, but it's hard, you know, it's as as a rider at that level, it's it can be very mentally difficult to be saying well you know i'm i'm getting 60 you know one day we'll get you know we'll get 70s or or 80s you know depending on the horse and what's going on so you know just to introduce the horse nicely and for the rider to give realistic goals and you know just to uh have a positive experience at, at a level that's a little bit before you know going going into it i think that's great so uh yeah we'll hopefully see lots of horses in this level and uh and uh, be creating horses with good training and good confidence to work up towards that that big ring Grand Prix experience. Well, and I think, too, it reminds me, as you guys are talking about this, everyone does that throwback Thursday photo on Facebook, and I posted something from, um, do you guys remember the pre-St. George freestyle with the young riders? Yes. It was probably 14 years ago. Yep, And it's... I really found myself last year missing it a lot. And I think the other thing that will be interesting to hear from people with the medium tour is, you know, it just gives you more tests to do. And I think yeah. the idea that you can be playing around with this, you're not pushing yourself. So maybe you do make the Grand Prix, but then you're just doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, say the horse starts to anticipate stuff or whatever, you know, it just can end up being something where you're kind of stuck in this place. Um, you know, or maybe it's for the I-1 and the I-2, and you're trying to sort of figure out those transitions. But I think it's really nice that there is all of these things, whether it's the pre-state charge freestyle that, you know, now doesn't exist anymore. But having these things that they're kind of playing around with, so that you really have more options. I, I just really like it. I think it's good for the horses mentally. I think it's fun for the riders. And I, I think it's a neat thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember, and I saw your throwback Thursday picture, Hillary. It was good. I liked it. I laughed. Um, it was so cute. But um, it's true. That pre-St. George freestyle was great. I kind of wish they would bring it back so people could get in the FEI ring and then and, and do a freestyle because they're fun. Yeah, I do too. 
yeah, we can we can petition to get that back. But it was really fun, and I agree. You know, it's nice, and especially when you get to that level. Um, this year, doing the coaching the Brentina, you know, they had several different tests that they rode, and it was nice. You know, besides knowing which one it was and not getting confused on memorizing it, um, it was nice because none of the horses anticipated. You know, didn't know where we were and that good stuff. So, so that was good. So, so Hillary, you have one more for us tonight. Yes, I do. So the last one that we have is um, we did a DT Classic, speaking of Throwback Thursday. It's our anniversary year, as I mentioned before. And Kathy Connolly did an article on training Piazza and Passage in hand, which I was really excited about because, first of all, she is just a master at doing that. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting because I don't think it's that common in the United States to do in-hand work and... Um, you know, to have someone so skilled at doing that, I think is interesting. Um, and, you know, I just think that it's a really interesting concept and I wonder why we don't do it more in this country. Um, so I thought it was neat to have that showing, you know, step by step. So at least she explained, you know, what it was that she was working on so that people at every level really have an understanding of what the point of it is, what it should be looking like, how it's done properly, and, um, you know, really respecting that it's a skill set. And I think it's really neat to see, um, I think, clinicians coming in that are really specializing in that and having people, you know, going after that and looking for that. And I, I wanted to see what you guys were experiencing in your areas in terms of whether or not people were bringing in clinicians that specialized in in-hand work. Well, I'm I'm really lucky because I've trained with Kathy Connolly um, since I was um, early 20s. So again, that was you know a couple of years ago. Just uh, just a couple. I'm, just a couple. It was um, last year. It yeah, was last, last year. year. Yeah, it's a year experience. So you've been too <laughs> But but it's been. Um, and I will tell you, she is so open in sharing her knowledge with it. And um, I have to be honest. I, you know, it's one of those things. I'm I'm not very good at it. Um, personally, I get tangled up. I'm great at holding the front actually, cause I'm tall and I'm strong and, and I can, you know, that's my role. Usually she would do the back and I would do the front. So I'm super good at holding them, but I'm not very good at holding the long lines. And, and I always wish that I, you know, I just need to go out in the ring by myself with my horse and figure it out. Um, because it is, it is really a skill set that it is really, really helpful to know and we used it a lot. I had my first horse that I did Young Riders with and then did um, the Pan Am selections with him. And then he, he was Grand Prix when we sold him. Uh, he had a lot of trouble um, really getting his hind legs. He had super um, powerful hind legs, but he just had a lot of trouble getting to that place. And Kathy and I used to long line him all the time. And it was magic after we longlined him. He was a different animal because he could figure out what we were asking for with the balance. And um, but and this is my own fault too that I didn't I didn't do more and figure it out because um, I think some people are super talented at it. And for me, it was just hard, and I, I got tangled up and all kinds of stuff. But I wish that I'd spent more time really learning it. Not that I can't continue to learn it, but man, did it help that particular horse. And um, so it's really a skill that you have to learn. You have to practice a lot. Um, 
and and I think we all and and I'm I'm just as guilty here of um you know I want to ride and and I don't explore some of those avenues everyone and and it's a good thing to do so um, if you ever get a chance Kathy is very open with her skill and she'll she'll help you learn how to do it and there are other other masters at it as well. Yeah, I think I mean the short answer why more people don't do it or it's more common is just it's freaking hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's I mean really it is, hard. and and we spend our whole lives learning to ride, to be on top of the horse. And then, uh, you know, to get the skill set from the ground is, is, uh, takes another lifetime. I mean, you know, there's that, there's a saying that, it, uh, that, you know, you can't, you can't learn to ride well in only one lifetime. It takes two or three. And then there's that extra, you know, end hand stuff. And then I think the other part is, um, I think about it at home here is that when we, like I do a lot, a lot of teaching of uh, you know amateur riders and and horses that are you know maybe going to max out at fourth level or pre Saint George, and so we don't always take the time to do uh, you know the in hand work or you know the the introduction to PF passage. I mean I kind of like to introduce it at third level sort of thing, but then the horse doesn't really have to be that great at it, and you know maybe it's easiest on the horse just to do it from from on top you know as a rider you know when you learn to ride that kind of stuff really well on top you know it's it kind of seems like oh why would i do it from the ground because it's so hard for me and 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 so again we fall into a certain pattern about teaching things and and how each of us as riders do it and but it's so helpful we, we you know we get refreshed when you get a clinician in that's that's really great at doing this you know you know you kind of like wow i wish i i wish i would do that more and learn how to do it better. So, you know, um, maybe the answer, Reese, you know, for you and I who have spent some time in Europe is to go back and do another yeah. two years on just in handwork. Yeah. Get off the horses be, and get off the horse and, and do it. That please teach great. me how to, yeah, to, to do better PF passage work in hand. And yeah. I think um, that would be, you know, so helpful. And, and we could fill all of our barns with, with horses that are, really talented at PF Passage, you know, because we've done a great job uh, on the ground and, and in hand and stuff, you know? It's yeah, like a wish. It's one of those really yeah. wishful things, and um, let's figure out a way how to do that. Yeah. How about that? How about you, Hillary? Well, you know, I think it's really exciting that you guys are willing to say how bad you are at it. Yeah. Because uh, I'll throw my hat in at the same time. And I think it's something that is not really a joke. People sort of make it, uh, you know, sound as though it's just that they just are, you know, don't have the time to do it or whatever. But it's really, really, really hard. And yes. it reminded me when we were talking about moving up to the Grand Prix, I think Christoph has, but don't quote me on this, said, you know, getting to FEI is like climbing Mount Everest. Getting to the Grand Prix is doing it barefoot in the middle of winter. And I yes. think that yeah. in handwork is the same kind of thing. You know, it's not a joke. It's not something where you're just like, nah, you know, I just never picked it up. It's not like learning how to lunge and, you know, kind of being able to have a horse go around in side reins in a way that you can kind of pick up as you're learning to ride. You know, it really is an art form. And I think... Um, you know, it's really important to have people at the skill level that we're at saying that we're bad at it because I think it makes people realize that you can't just start fiddling around with it. It's really important to have someone who is incredibly good and not only doing it but teaching it to advise you as you're doing it. Um, and I know there was a horse at one of the barns 
a long time ago that I heard about where she was doing in hand work with her horse and the horse ended up flipping completely over onto the mirror in the indoor. Um, and there was just like, you know, lines everywhere. The horse was upside down and tangled and it yeah. just ended up yeah. as a huge disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that you can't take it casually, um, no. but I think it's really important and everybody at every level can go and watch. I think it's cool to go and watch and see because you start to see how the horses are supposed to be moving and it gives you ideas of what you're working towards that you can then take back and whether you want to pursue that or just continue your training in the saddle, it, it gives you a better eye for what you're, you're trying to see. Yeah, I think you know that's a good point. It's it's dangerous, yeah, you know, because you um, you're yeah. in close proximity to the horse. Um, you know, the horse can make a wrong move, or let's face it, sometimes they kick, right? Like they don't like the whip on their hind leg or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're you're very close to them. They can be on top of you very quickly, and so yeah, it's not something that you can just like, oh, today I'm gonna you know do this. I mean, you have to know your horse really, really well. You have to really watch their reactions. I think, you know, that's that's where it can be really helpful because if you're riding all the time and even if you have a uh, an arena full of mirrors, you can't always see how well they're reacting or, you know, you're always turning your head. That's what I get annoyed at sometimes. You're always turning your head to look at the, you know, look in the mirror. Like, how's this, how that? So, you know, I do, I do do a little bit of it, but I'm definitely not... I, um, pushing the limits, you know, and like, oh, this horse has to do it or whatever, because I know how you know, close you are to the horse and how quickly horses move when they really want to and, and you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, next time I have somebody in the barn, like for teaching and that, that's, you know, quite good at it, I have to kind of think about, okay, maybe I want to spend this lesson learning in handwork instead of, you know, all that stuff that you really want to, like, oh, I really want to make the half fest better, I just want to ride, and da, da, da. you know, like, it's, I think it's worthwhile to uh, to take some time, so I'm glad we talked about this today, because, um, you know, it's an important point, and uh, got to spend some more time learning it, because I think eventually there won't be anybody who knows it if, if nobody's taking the time to learn, so, mm-hmm. it's good. Well, I think the whole point, you know, as we've sort of been talking about all these concepts, the idea really is, you know, work yourself through the levels and just feel as though that you're progressing and building a foundation until you get to the top and, you know, don't cut corners to get there and you'll end up with a lot of success. That is so true. And it's a journey. <laughs> I think, it's you know, here, here, here you have three trainers that are saying, oh, yeah, we could all get better at in-hand work or we could all get better at the basics. And I think that you have to look at it not as, oh, my gosh, this is disappointing. It's it's great. And you can and there's so much more to learn and so much more to do. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And, and, and we can hear we're all saying we can get better at it. And, and I think that you can't look at that like, oh, I'm never going to learn it all because well, let's face it, you're not, (laughs) you know, and that's why we're all here trying to all get better and work together with the magazine and with the, with the show that we can all, you know, get, get better at training our horses every day. So, but Hillary, thank you as always for coming on the show. You do such an amazing job and truly this is Philip and, and my favorite interview of the month. So how can our listeners find a little bit more of information about dressage today online? So they can go to dressagetoday.com, and as I talked about, the Dressage 101 
we have up there for January, and they can check it out in the magazine. And then we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and YouTube. And we're covering still through the end of the month uh, GDF down in Wellington, and we have interviews with some of the top riders and some cool, um, you know, behind-the-scenes photos as well as competition results. So definitely check out all of those things. And um, I will talk to you guys next month. Well, that truly is, Philip, and my favorite segment of the month we look forward to when Hillary comes on every time. So she's so great at what she does and, and a great trainer. And, and it was fun. We actually got to meet her in person, right, Philip, in Florida? Yeah, when we got to Florida. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get together with her soon. I don't know. Maybe you'll yeah. probably see her before I will. But, uh, yeah, probably. Somewhere. <laughs> that was fun. I hope. So, Reese, I have a little update for you oh. and all of our listeners, actually. Really? Um, yeah, I was watching the Facebook page yesterday or the other day. I was just, you know, the dressage radio show Facebook page and our our likes. Put that in quotation, yes. Top twenty seven hundred. So that was pretty That's cool. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. excellent. So there well, you go. So thanks for everybody who clicked jumping. the like yeah. button. You know, um, that, I think that's an easy way to kind of get the updates about the shows, you know, which ones are out or, you know, if you're not on the website or you don't have the app, you can uh, check out the Facebook page and, and, uh, you know, Glenn, Glenn kind of keeps us up to date on what he's up to. I think he put some, uh, put some photos on there from, uh, road to the horse and, uh, a little video of, uh, his rescue horse at home. He's got kind of cool stuff that he puts on there. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. we put the photos up there, you know, when we get together and are doing stuff, we like to, uh, um, you know, put that. So, you know, little tidbits, extra tidbits about the shows and stuff on the Facebook page. Check it out. It's cool. Exactly. Absolutely. We'd love it. And more likes, the better. We we want more. So keep <laughs> sending your friends and sharing and all the good stuff. That yeah, you that's do a good on way Facebook. to get on to, uh, get in touch with us, too. You can send a message on there. We'll, you yeah. know, uh, one of us will, you know, maybe answer a question or if you had some feedback for the show, you know, that goes directly to <laughs> us. We can check it out and, uh, you know, a different way than emailing, you know, it's easy. So. Exactly. Well, cool. great. Well, everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com, and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. And we'll talk to you actually in a couple weeks um, because Tara um, has the next week's show. And and I'm sure they'll be talking lots about their – they just had a big CDI that they had for qualifying for WEG. So I'm sure they have great stuff on there. And so we will actually talk to you in a couple weeks. So have a great training, and we'll talk to you, uh, I guess, in April. Oh, my goodness. I know. Time flies. It'll be warmer. (laughs) Everybody have a great night.